and finding a seat, I want to invite you to look at today's sermon title, incredibly creative as usual, uh, the sermon your dad wants you to hear. Long title, no trickery. Uh, today is about that. Here's, here's why. I'm a dad. I know what sermon I want my kid to hear. Now, my kid hears a lot of sermons, uh, but that's because he's a preacher's kid, and that's fine. But here's, here's what your dad wants you to hear. If you're a guest with your father today, or maybe you brought your dad, he still wants you to hear this, because here's what your dad wants for you. You ready? Your dad wants you to be a good person. Is, is that right? No, there's no dad in the room that's like, I hope my kid just is an evil, awful person when they become an adult. Well, we'll know we've nailed it. Uh, they want you to be full of integrity. Correct? All right. It helps if you respond when I clearly ask questions. All right? Uh, and I'm assuming, because these are, these are easy. Okay? We, we, you want your kid to make good decisions. Thank you, dads. I like the baritone in that. We want them to make good decisions that lead to even better decisions in their life. Correct? Okay, thank you. So I, maybe some of you thought we were going to hear a great sermon about dads today in the Bible, you know? No, you're not. You're going to hear about how you can have the greatest role model that has ever lived. And I'm sorry, it's not your dad. Dads are great. I love dads. I have a great dad. I wish that my dad was here with us today. He is in Florida. That's where he lives. His name is Bill. They watch this as they're getting ready for church. So just like Mother's Day, we're about to wish a happy Father's Day to Bill. Okay? Are you ready? Mom, go get dad. We're about to talk to you. Ready? On three, happy Father's Day, Bill. Ready? One, two, three. Bill, thank you very much. He will talk about that forever. And so here's what we are going to do, though. Happy Father's Day. Here's what you want. Dads want you to see how to live. Dads love to provide. Dads love to do that. Dads love to fight for you. Dads love that. But at the heart of it, dads want you to see how you should live. There's a lot of things in that. And here's the key to living a life that will be a blessing to all those around you. You need a good role model. Remember, I I love my dad. He is a great role model, but there is a better role model than your dad, okay? If dad really wants you to learn how to live, he's going to agree with me on this. Here's your role model. You ready? It's going to be so obvious. It's going to be so obvious for those of you who have known me for more than 30 seconds. There's a fly flying around. Do you see that? That happens a lot. Do you think that happens a lot? I'm giving you time to think of the answer. Who do you think, if I could bring Billy up and say, Billy, who do you think I want you to live most like in your life? Who do you think it's going to be? Jesus. Jesus is your role model. So, I don't know about you, if I want to follow a role model, then I need to know how does Jesus live? What is he like? What should I be doing that Jesus is doing? So I'm going to live like Jesus. Here's what that means. I'm going to be charismatic. I'm going to be gifted. I'm going to be a spirit-filled person. Some of you, we love those words. You're like, charismatic, finally, finally. Let's get the thunder sticks. Let's have a time, right? But, But there are many of us that are like, no, no, no. Let's just pump the brakes on that. I get it. But here's what I do know. I've never in my life met a believer, a Jesus follower, who when I say, do you want to live spirit-filled? They say, no. Have you ever met one? No, of course you haven't. So do you think 
that if that's true, I wonder where we learned that from. We learned that from Jesus himself. Jesus was a spirit-filled person. Over and over and over, we're gonna see that today. So what I'm about to make or make come to life for some of you, some of you are gonna be really happy and some of you is gonna make a little squirmy. But here, let me get this out of the gate. Jesus and all the apostles were charismatics. I'm gonna, I'm gonna smooth it out for you, okay, on the screen. Jesus lived a spirit-filled life. Jesus lived a spirit-filled life. So if you're here and you want your kid, your son, your daughter, you say, man, I want the best for them, then you should say, you need to live a spirit-filled life. We see what a not spirit-filled life gets you. We saw that in Samson over the last three weeks, right? Especially last week. We see where if I'm led by emotion, where that gets me, I want to be led by the spirit. So when I really understand, well, what do you mean by charismatic? Like, you know, like that's a charged word. You will actually see, hopefully in the next few minutes, that it's impossible to be a genuine follower of Jesus, a genuine follower of God, and not be charismatic. It's impossible. There's variations. I'll give you that. There's variations. But the essential being of a Christian is one who is filled with charisma. Charismatic. It's a Greek word, charismata. That's not hard to remember. Right? It means gifts of grace. It's one who operates in the gifts of grace, in the gifts of the Spirit. And the word has become associated with a lot of other things. I'll admit that. Sometimes we say, oh, that's a charismatic church. Well, how do you know? Well, they do cartwheels up the middle aisle during the, the middle of the worship service, or they, they raise their hands. Oh, goodness. And they don't even have a question. <laughs> You guys know me. We don't, that's not why we raise hands here. You guys just holler stuff out if it's going well. I believe that every Christian is supposed to be and operate and pay attention to and hear from the Holy Spirit. And so therefore, we're supposed to be led by the Holy Spirit. And we can disagree on what that looks like, but I do think that we have to live in agreement that the Holy Spirit is to fill the, the Christian, the believer. I really see no room for debate on that. So I think if, if you want your son or daughter to grow up and live like Jesus, they need to be a charismatic or at least filled with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is in the life of every believer and he's dwelling inside of you and he wants desperately to speak to you. Do you believe that? Man, I hope so. Jesus was the most spirit-filled person to ever walk the earth. And he is also the greatest role model for us ever. This is role model time, right? So why do you think that was so important? Why do you think the gospel writers and the book of Acts spent so much time showing us that Jesus was spirit-filled? It must have been pretty important. So dads, if you're here and you're like, hey, pay attention, kid, because we have a great role model, and it isn't just the person teaching you to hit a curveball, okay? Point them towards Jesus. Dads, be a spirit-filled dad who points your son or daughter towards Jesus. If you want your, oh, who wants their kids to be powerful? Nobody, just these four people? And you guys are gonna dominate because nobody else behind you raised their hand. Let's get a five on five. They're, they're gonna dominate with power. No, of course you do. I want my son to be powerful. I want him to be powerful. Do you know how he can be powerful? By leaning into the Holy Spirit. You're like, hold up a second there, preacher boy. I thought, I thought Jesus got his power from God. Because, you know, he is God. I thought that's how he got his power. Yes, but a lot of the miraculous stuff he did, let's name some of them. What are some of the miracles that Jesus did that we see in the Gospels? Water, water. What, water into wine. We always go there first. What else? 
<laughs> he made booze. <laughs> we all know that one. I don't know the other ones were. <laughs> what else? Did he heal people? He walked on water? He did all those things, right? Did, how about did he resist sin? Yeah, nobody ever says that first. He did all that. You know, it says, it tells us how he did that. He did that in the power of the Holy Spirit. So when I say I want my son to be powerful, I don't mean I just want him to be a dominant track star. I mean, I want him to be powerful in resisting sin. I want him to be powerful in the way he loves people. I want him to be powerful in the way that he treats people. Jesus did that. How how does he overcome the, the devil? Through the spirit. How did he do miracles? Many of them, it even says, through the spirit. How does he see? You ever notice Jesus just sees right into people? Do you ever do that? Do you ever just know somebody needs help? Well, so how does that, just because you're super perceptive? Maybe. Or it could be the power of the Spirit. How does Jesus have such a great communion, a, a fellowship time with the Father? How does he do that? With the Spirit. The power of the Spirit is how he did it. And here's the great news. The same Holy Spirit that lived in Jesus and allowed him to operate in those gifts and operate in a tight communion with the Father, guess what? He didn't go away when Jesus died. He actually became more powerful. Look at the Apostles' Creed. Maybe you have it memorized. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified and rose again on the third day. Did anybody catch the the oddity in there? Jesus' life after being born gets a comma in the Apostles' Creed. But there are 33 years in there. Like, why do we skip to the end of that one? His death is important. It's the most important thing, probably. But Jesus is in death. His death enables you to live, but his life shows you how to live. So if you're like, I want my kid to grow up and be like whatever, teach them to grow up and be like Jesus. Jesus even tells his apostles, it's absurd, isn't it? Jesus tells his apostles, he says, when I go... You will do things greater than I did. Does anybody else just think that's absurd? I mean, Jesus did all those miracles. Are you saying that Jesus, we're going to do something greater than walking on water? He doesn't mean you're going to walk on double water. He doesn't mean it like that, you know. He means the, the way those things are perceived, the things you will do will be perceived as greater than that. Greater than miracles? Yes. So, so let me ask you, if, if we were to look at your life Would you say, yes, I have a Jesus spirit-filled life. My life looks like Jesus's. Well, how are we supposed to know? Look at at in one of the writers of the Gospels, Luke in chapter 5, said on on one of those days as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village, Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Now, we we know, and I'll just kind of summarize, Jesus is about to heal a paralytic, okay? And in this account of the healing, it says that strange little phrase. Did you catch it? And the power of the Lord, and the power of the Lord, what's that about? I mean, sure, the power of the Lord is in him. He is the Lord. You know, it's like, like Mark is standing here. Mark isn't going to show up in a second and overtake me, right? What would that fight be like? It'd be a lot of mouthing is what it would be. But Luke is indicating that Jesus' power to heal was, in most circumstances, coming from the Holy Spirit. The power of the Lord. We saw that all through the book of Judges, right? The power of the Lord came upon Samson. The power of the Spirit. So there are times in Jesus' life where the Spirit 
of the Lord. The Spirit himself would overtake him, right? In Acts, we see the Spirit do all sorts of incredible things. I made a list. It enables Stephen to see into heaven. That's cool. Uh, it, it enabled the first Christians there uh, to understand languages and speak in languages they'd never even heard before. That's cool. Uh, for Paul to blind a magician. Remember that? He got mad and was like, just be blind. You know, don't blind. That was awesome. Uh, for Philip to be transported, teleported spatially. You remember that? Across the desert. Holy Spirit did that. So, so if that's what the Holy Spirit in the apostles and the Holy Spirit in Jesus looks like, what does Holy Spirit in me look like? Like, how am I supposed to know? I got a couple things, right? How am I supposed to know if I'm living spirit-filled? There's a couple things, right? How about this? Jesus was bold. Am I bold like Jesus? Would anybody in here consider themselves a bold person? Not blunt. Not blunt. Very different. Don't you love it when someone says, I'm just blunt. I'm just going to say what's on my mind. You're like, oh, boy, here we go. Here we go. They think that's a virtue. Luke 4, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. What does that say? What does that say about Jesus? He's returning in the power of the Spirit. This is the same language used in the early church in Acts 2. And they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. That's bold. It's bold when you feel that and you do that because you know the one who's backing you. We see that all over Acts 4. Peter was among that group. He, he preached a sermon that day and 3,000 people came to Christ. Well, that's amazing to me. How, how, how were they so bold in their proclamation of the gospel? Which, by the way, that is why the Holy Spirit makes you bold. He makes you bold in order to proclaim His goodness. He doesn't make you bold to make you a jerk. Do you see the difference? He makes you bold in order to proclaim his goodness. They were bold in their proclamation because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 7 it says, But he, full of the Holy Spirit, said this a minute ago, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. I hope you're picking up the theme. Jesus told the apostles in Luke 12, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities... Do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Does anybody worry about that? Does anybody worry that, man, when that guy at work is so smart, when he hits me with all those Bible questions, I'm not going to know what to say. Does anybody worry about that? Man, I worry about that. I've been to seminary. Like, I'll feel really stupid if I don't know it. Like, you got, I mean, you've been to seminary, you get a little pass. You know what I mean? I don't. I get no passes. It's like when people want to play Bible trivia. I'm like, I don't want to play. I don't want to play. I don't want to play. There's going to be somebody in the room that's got it all memorized, and I'm not going to get it right or something. Or they're going to try to trick me the whole time. What's the difference between a rod and a staff? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It's not what we did. It wasn't Bible school. But it says over and over and over that Jesus preached and teached or taught in the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm just wondering, is how your life being lived out, is it in the power of the Holy Spirit? I mean, what did, what did the Holy Spirit help him preach? What does the Holy Spirit help you proclaim? 
It says in Luke 4, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recover the sight of the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So did I remember to turn that one in? Good. What sort of things did Jesus come to do? Holler them out when you remember them. Okay, I'll help you. I have it in front of me. Proclaim good news. Proclaim liberty to those who are captive. Recover sight to the blind, maybe physically, maybe figuratively. To set liberty to those who are oppressed. Do you know anybody who is any of those things? Do you know anybody who's living like this? Do you know anybody who's living like this? So the Spirit gives you the power to proclaim truth in those people's lives. Not your truth truth of Jesus. The Spirit of God comes on you for things like that. When you're, when you're working for the oppressed, the Spirit gives you power. When you're working to free the captives, the Spirit gives you power. The Spirit of God will be there. Not so you can get all A's on your Bible quiz, but so that you can have the power of God to be bold in those moments. So are you bold? Dads, are you, are you showing boldness to your son or are you just the loudest? How about this? Is your life full of joy like Jesus? And that's, isn't that kind of funny the way we'd put that together? You got bold, joyful people. You know anybody like that? You don't. But the Christian should be. It says in Luke 10, I'm all over Luke today. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. In Acts 2, it says, the Spirit of God came upon the first church with a great sense. Do you remember? A great sense of awe, which really means a great sense of gladness. Gladness. It filled their heart. As you know, if you're curious today, like, I don't know. I don't know how spirit-filled I am. Well, are you bold? Are you bold in your proclamation of the good news? Are you joyful? Are you a joyful person? Because the sign of a spirit-filled believer and a spirit-filled church is joy. You remember that song? J-O-Y, down in my heart. We did this, deep, deep down in my heart. That was very scandalous too when we did that. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying like in order to be a spirit-filled person, you gotta be one of them type A, Mr. Positive, perky personality, just man, just whoo, joyful, joyful all the time. That, that's not what I'm saying. A spirit-filled church though is characterized by the joy that they have. I read somewhere, I think it was Shane Pruitt, really great uh, writer on Next Gen stuff. He said, we know that Jesus was joyful and fun. Do you know how we know that? Because little kids wanted to be around him. Have you ever seen a little kid that wants to be around a curmudgeon who always like just frowns? Man, I'm glad these kids are here. You know, no, no, we don't. So we know that Jesus, just by the way he lived his life, that little kids want to be around him all the time. Who knows what he was doing, right? Would you think he was like making like rocks float and stuff? I would. My every single one of you dads in here is like, think of what I could do if I could do that. You know, he wasn't a Jedi, he was Jesus. But I'm just saying, like, little kids wanted to be around him because I think he was so joyful all the time. Sure, there's, there's solemn reflections and repentance and mourning, but the dominant motif of a Christian is joy. That's the dominant motif. Psalm 100, you remember this one? Make a joyful what to the Lord? 
not a whisper, all the earth serve the Lord with what? Gladness? Oh, I thought it was drudgery. No, it's gladness. Come into his presence with what? Singing. In Psalm 35, may those who delight in salvation shout out for joy. Uh, Ephesians 5, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. I say to church, I don't just mean Keystone Montgomeryville, but I do mean that also. The church should be characterized by joy. Our worship services, that's right now. You are in it. You're in the thick of it, man. You're halfway through. It should be characterized by exuberance and shouting, according to the Bible, and joy. Do you, do you ever think about how loud heaven's going to be? Sometimes we, we get like, oh, I think our music is too loud. Then you're going to hate heaven because there's going to be millions of people singing. When you go to the length, do you, do you say, oh, everybody's so loud in here. You know why they're so loud? Because they're happy. They may be in violation of Ephesians 5, though. You say, well, Mark, that's great. That's not really my personality. Okay, I get it, I get it. I'm the, I'm the cool, like, coffee in one hand, hand in pocket. That's me. Huh, kind of chill. You're just a chill guy. Cool, I love chill guys. Huh? You're saying joy is not your personality. That's fine. I'll bet if I came up to you after church today, I said, you're not going to believe this, but that lottery ticket that you bought, it hit. And you are $250 million richer than you were an hour ago. I'll bet we would find joy. (laughs) I'll bet you'd smile. I'll bet you would go as far as to clap or maybe even do a heel click, which I can do, but I'm not going to do it on here and certainly not on camera. I'll bet that personality, you would have a little personality change. You know, I was at a Phillies game a couple weeks ago. I had some friends there with me. I had a great time. And it was tied going into the ninth inning. And Kyle Schwarber, my guy, he gets up there and he hit a walk-off ninth inning home run. And did you know that all those quiet people around me all of a sudden had the personality of pure joy? We were high-fiving strangers. I was hugging the dude behind me that was using some salty language the whole time. I didn't care. We were all best friends all of a sudden. Why? Because something happened that caused us all to be joyful. So if you're not joyful in worship, and don't hear me, that don't mean you got to stand on the seat and clap. But if you're not joyful in worship, it might mean that you find greater value in winning a game or the lottery than you do in the salvation of God. Is that too big of a leap? Jesus was full of joy. And we should be too. So I don't know. How do I tell if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you bold? Are you joyful? And if Jesus depended on the power of the Holy Spirit, if he did that, how much more should we? Because he was God. He's God. And he said, I got to do this. So I don't know about you. This would be where I'd be asking this question. How do I get that? Maybe some of you, you've been a believer for a long time, right? You're like, how do I get that? Well, in Luke 3, it says this. It's going to give you, I'm going to tell you in one word, but I'm going to tell you after I read it. We're going to see if you can guess how you get it. You ready? You guys like these kinds of things? Eh, I hope so. Now, when all the people were baptized, 
And when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form, like a dove. And a voice came from heaven and said, you're my beloved son, with you I'm well pleased. So, okay, that doesn't really tell me how to get it. How, how do I get it? Okay, Jesus then, he, remember in Acts, he ascends into heaven, Acts 1, Acts 1, 14, he says, you guys are going to go to the upper room, you're going to pray. They did that. They prayed for 10 days, and the Spirit came in Acts 2, and Peter preached, and 3,000 people were saved. Okay, well, I want that. The early church prayed for 10 days, preached for 10 minutes, and 3,000 people became Christians. Now, this isn't true about our church, but I know some places that they're most likely to pray for 10 minutes, preach for 10 days, and see three people come. So, so which one do I want? Okay, well, how do I get it? How do I get it? What's, okay, I'm going to tell you finally. Ready? What, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead... Give him a serpent. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Pop quiz time. How do I get that? You ask. How do I get the filling that Jesus had? Apparently, I ask, how do I, even if I'm a believer, right? You got the Holy Spirit in you when you became a Christian, right? There's no like, you got to do this, 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 and then you get it. No, no, no. You were fully imbued and dwelled with the Holy Spirit when you became a Christian. Christian, but like, how do I begin to live it out? You ask. Because it's the same Holy Spirit available to Jesus that's available to me. I ask. So literally, I'm making one big point here. Jesus moved. Jesus did miracles. Jesus resisted the devil. Jesus overcame sin. How did he do that? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Honestly, up until like 15 years ago, that's probably not how I would have characterized that. Maybe a little bit longer than 15 years, but here's what I would have thought. I thought Jesus did what Jesus did out of his own godness. Because he's God. Like I just thought I thought that, right? And, and that there were times, you know, where sure the Holy Spirit was there, because you know, the Trinity. But but that Jesus, what I've come to realize, and I want you to see, is that. Jesus depended on the power of the Spirit so that we could see that we should depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. So one may point here, let me just make it real simple. Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit. If he did, how much more should I? Okay, what do you depend on for victory? Your own ability? Good grief, right? Uh, what do you, who do you depend on for parenting? Your, your spouse? Your parents to show you? Those are good things, but that can't be the thing you depend on. It must be the Holy Spirit. How, what do you depend on to overcome sin? Your goodness? Your ability to know left and right? You must connect to the right source of power. And where do I get that power? I get it from Holy Spirit to resist the devil, to be freed from captivity. How do I get the ability to forgive people that I don't want to forgive? From the Holy Spirit. Jesus did all of those things in the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're looking for a role model today, it ain't me and it ain't anybody in here except Jesus. Because he patterned and modeled for us that it is the Holy Spirit. I think a lot of times we're like, we're like those uh, prophets in, in, uh, in 1 Kings uh, 18. Remember that story? Somebody has it memorized. Just hit us. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, that's, here, here's what they did. They said, our gods are better than your God. Anybody struggling with that? 
people all around you, our God's better than your God. And we're going to show you. We're going to yell louder. We're going to work harder. And our God will burn up this test that they put up for him. My favorite part of that story is in 1839. I didn't turn any of these in. But it's when uh, it's all over. God, he he destroyed the, the, the barrels and the water and did everything. And the people are on their face. And here's what they're saying. The Lord, he is God. They were convinced. The Lord, he is God. So why do you bring that up? Because the prophet Elijah was the outward face of all of that. And not one of them on paper says, Elijah is a great speaker. Look what Elijah did. Look what he was able to conjure up. No, through his actions, they said, the Lord is God. Did you know that God can anoint you in such a way, so powerfully, that no one will ever even know your name? We rarely say, that's what I want. In Matthew 5, it says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see, track with me, really tight, okay? So that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Who are they glorifying? The Lord. But whose works do they see? Yours. So are you telling me that the power of the Holy Spirit in me can bring something so powerful into my life, I can do something so in the Spirit that people will see the good works of God in me and give glory to the Father? Absolutely. The book of Daniel even says that. It said he had an excellent spirit upon him, which gave him wisdom and knowledge set above all his peers. Paul says in Ephesians 1 that the spirit gives you wisdom and revelation. You're going to always see wisdom is a theme throughout the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah, it says God gives the spirit of wisdom and understanding and counsel and might. You can have that spirit in every area of your life. And if you don't, I would say you need to ask. You say, well, how can I be the greatest mother, the greatest father filled? You ask for more of the Holy Spirit. How can I be the greatest worker, employee? How can I do that? You ask. How can you be the great professor? Ask. How can I be a great student, a great preacher? You ask for it. If you ask for the bread of the Spirit, God's not going to give you a rock. Because he'll give it to you. And when you realize Jesus' mission, it's not hard to connect the gifts that he's giving you with his mission. The Holy Spirit is not like a magic amulet or a crystal that if you have, oh, it's a lucky rabbit's foot. The Spirit came upon Jesus and the church for a mission. A lot of our hyper-charismatic brothers and sisters, they, they love Acts 2. And I do too. I love Acts 2. But we often forget that Acts 2 comes after Acts 1. Genius. I get that. Smart. But it says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So what, what is the purpose of receiving the Holy Spirit for the mission? Me filled with the Holy Spirit should look a lot like Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit. It should be rather easy to spot. 
People should, when, when you say, yes, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, here's what they should see, a joyful, loving person. That, think about it like this. If Jesus came as a quarterback, right? You with me? Some of you are like, eh, no, I'm not. If Jesus came as a quarterback and dominated the NFL, the greatest quarterback ever, even better than Tom Brady, okay? Even better, even better and he was winning Super Bowls left and right, then, then you would expect that a spirit-filled follower would be a great quarterback. We'd all be excellent. If, if Jesus came as a businessman, just making great investments, understanding the, the stock market thing, he knew it, then we would say a spirit-filled Christian should be really good at that because that's what we want to emulate, right? But what did Jesus come as? A servant. He used the greatest source of power ever known in the history of humanity and all of creation to better serve. So me as a spirit-filled Christian, I should look like a servant. In fact, the Holy Spirit's chief aim in my life is to be more filled with him. So can I tell you, I'll tell you what I don't see the spirit doing a lot of in the gospels or in the book of Acts. You ready? He, he, we don't see this a lot. Keeping the church comfy. We just don't have a verse on that. I wish we did. That'd be awesome. We'd have it up on everything. We don't. Uh, we don't see the Holy Spirit keeping the church in a state of power in their government. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't seem to be top priority. Uh, we don't see him making people wealthy. And if he does, it's most likely to increase their capacity to give. Uh, I would say, do you even want this power? Can you handle it? Because a lot of people I meet are like, yeah, gift me up, man. I want it all. Give it to me. Hit me. Why? Why do you want it? Because what it's going to do is increase your ability to serve. It's going to increase your ability to serve in the church, to serve in the kingdom better. That's the whole point. There is no disconnect between the mission of God and the power of God. They go hand in hand. The disconnect is between the people of God and the mission of God. We lose sight. So here's what we're going to do. We're going we're to pray together right now. And we're going to say, God, I, I want that. I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Not so that I can run around a room, not so I can prove it, but I want to be filled with the Holy Spirit so I can be a greater servant in his kingdom. Let's just pray right now. And if that's you, I'm not even going to lead you in it. You just do it. You just ask God, God, I want more of that. And as you're praying for that, here's what I'm going to tell you. I've been hearing and seeing people are coming to Jesus in this church at an incredible rate. I love it, I love it, I love it. Coffee shops, Mystic Pizza. I think it's like a, a south wing of our campus, I think. People coming to Christ at the pizza shop in our CGs. And if I was sitting with you right now, we were just talking, here's what I would say. I'd say, what lie are you trusting right now? What are you depending on to get you through your job and through your parenting? Well, which one is it? And if you told me anything other than Jesus, I would say, do you believe that that's going to be enough to forgive you of your sin? Whatever it is. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father outside of Jesus. So is the thing you're trusting in, is it going to be enough? Is it greater than Jesus? So by faith, do you believe that Jesus is enough 
he had the power of the Holy Spirit in him to be bold and proclaim the good news. And the good news is that he has come for you, to free you, to unshackle you. And the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive them. And there are many of you that God has brought you here for this moment. You know you need that. And so I'm just going to lead you in a prayer if that's you. You just say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe that you came in humility for me. You died on the cross. You rose from the dead. Come into my life and be my Savior. Be my Lord. From this day forward, I will follow you.